Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to Loose Units Origins. I'm Paul Verhoeven and my dad, John, is currently sitting across in Sydney. And this week we're talking about one of the last chapters in the book, actually. It's chapter 45. It's called Back at the Start. How does it feel to be so close to the end of the book, Dad? Look, I, I've got a couple of editions of your book in the, um, in the bookshelf. Mm-hmm. I use a fairly large white marker to delineate the beginning of every new chapter. So the routine for listeners, uh, for the benefit of our lovely listeners, mm-hmm. I assume that all our listeners are lovely. The drum is that I read the chapter every week prior to us recording to refresh my memory and to make sure I'm on point. But I've slowly over the months been watching this white piece of paper creep ever so slowly to the back of the book. And it's like in life when you know that at a certain point in the future something's going to come to an end. Yeah. But you kind of don't think about it. You're aware of it. Mm. Um, And if I may give an example, Paul, because I know you like to you know, follow me down the rabbit hole occasionally. Occasionally, yes, I do. And I remember when I was at school... Oh, we're going that that far back. Okay. Paul, we were... We had to read 1984 Mm -hmm. by George Orwell, one of my absolute favourite, favourite books. Really? I I used to take it on holidays with me and read it by the pool in Bali. Fucking fun. You sound like a fun kid. What's he reading? (laughs) Well, literally the phrase Orwellian came from your holiday attitude. God, so hang on. When when were you in Bali as a kid? No, 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 Paul. Oh, years later. (laughs) Years later, but I, 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 I... When I... I don't know what sort of books people, apart from Loose Units and Electric Blue, people bring on their holidays. Yeah, yeah. But... Um, have you, you ever read... to bring the heavy shit. I well, think. In Cold Blood. Have you read that? Oh, fucking hell. You sound like the life of the party. Everyone's <laughs> drinking daiquiris. And John's Paul... over there reading just... just the... oh my Paul, I don't go to parties. No. I certainly don't. I've never had a daiquiri. Uh-oh. Ever. So when I accuse you of not being fun enough, you, your defense is, <laughs> I don't go to parties. I don't drink daiquiris. I'm over there under a shady tree reading Truman Capote's In Cold Blood. Thank you very much. Paul. Which is, I believe it's a, um, isn't that a profile of the inner workings of a serial killer? <laughs> well, 
two serial killers. <laughs> right, but, okay. But okay. Another, another one of my favourite reads on holiday yeah. is um, the story about America's greatest... He was an assassin. He was a hitman. Uh-huh. Have you ever read... What a terrible story. He Hang killed on, do you, so, know, do you know the name? I'd love to know, I'd love to recall the name, but he 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 was a hitman for the ma- the mafia. Yeah. And in one particular um he he was so so he was look he was a, a huge guy. Yeah. Um weirdly his name's coming to my mind um similar to Kuklowski, something like that. Klaus, okay, All something right. like that. But Paul, get ready for this. Mm-hmm. One of his one of his jobs was to kill some, let's say, bad guy, uh, which is weird. Getting one bad guy to kill another bad guy for the mafia. Mm. Mm. But he took this guy into a cave, and this is in the 1970s, so it's not that long ago. How do you get someone in a cave without it seeming instantly extremely suspicious? Ah, uh, good. Good call, but anyway, he gets this guy. He gets this guy into the cave, and what he did, yeah, I don't know how he. I don't know how he organised this, but he actually got rats to eat the guy while he was alive. And, but if that's not bad enough, look, his job was not to to actually use rats as part of the, you know, the, sort of the death saga. Mm. That was not part of the brief, but what he did. He he obviously fulfilled his obligation for the mafia by killing this guy, yeah. but he he introduced the rats as like a bonus, and then get ready for this, listeners. He filmed the entire episode, and then he sent the film to the mafia, and the mafia that received the film was so distressed and upset with what this guy he he'd kind of gone overboard. I mean, he used to take his job. Really, really seriously. But he also, terrifyingly, he used to kill people in the street at random testing methods of execution. Really? Yes, he'd just go up to any person in the street. He actually loved killing people. And he he would use these sort of like ice picks. And he'd just go up to a person at random and he'd just kill them in the street. So... He actually loved killing. That's beyond fucked up. I know. So that's just one of the books that I used to take on holidays with me. Right. So the upshot. Okay. Right. So I'm. I'm not a. Look, we're in an age of true crime. Obviously, the reason this podcast exists. Uh, well, there's many reasons, but one of the reasons is the fact that there's just been an explosion of true crime fandom. Right. Like people love and loose shooters, listeners, and readers love the grisly stuff. They mm. want gore. They want death, and they. There is something so funny about the outward appearance of a true crime fan, which I think t- statistically is largely female, hmm. you know, and very friendly. But the book they're reading as they smile and wave at you is usually about dismemberment or, or some sort of chaotic murder. It's it's hmm. all really dark stuff. Hmm. So I have no problem with the kind of contrast of being on holiday, you know, in a beautiful locale and, hmm. and also just reading something terrifying. Hmm. Um but you're not typically a reader, Dad. Are you? No, you, don't, you, no. you don't read many books. Um, if I was, if hand on heart, mm. listeners, and this is this is a an incredible admission to make. But if I was to, are we talking fiction or non-fiction, Paul? Oh, I think let's because well, this book is kind of halfway between the two. So let's go both. Let's be fair. Okay. Well, so 
I actually do love reading nonfiction. Mm-hmm. I love doing research. Um, a book has just arrived on Tibetan Buddhas, 108 of the best Buddhas in Tibet. And it's like almost a form of torture where, because you know it's very tempting because you know there are beautiful photographs of these Buddhas within the confines of the pages, within, within the front and the back. You know, there are pages with lovely photos. Isn't it tempting, and I think most people will agree, that you'd like to have a peek at one of the great photos? Would mm-hmm. you agree? Mm-hmm. But, but I've decided for the first time in my life that I'm actually going to read every single word from start to finish. So I've started. Uh, I must admit I'm, I'm slightly bogged down at the moment with pronunciation of certain ancient Buddhist terms to help sort of with the glossary, but that's the, the level of, of sort of... It's almost as though I'm torturing myself. Mm. Does that sound normal? Yeah, it's tricky. I mean, it's, it's it's really tricky when you kind of commit to a thing. I went through an odd phase where I kind of got obsessed with Egyptology and I was trying to read old textbooks. Mm. But I guess my what I'm trying to get us to on this episode is the fact that you're not a big reader. And one of the things that spurred me into writing Loose Units was trying to write a book that you would read. Mm. Well, um, you nailed it, Paul, because it's it's they're, they're, they're punchy. Because I don't have the greatest, although that's... I was. I'm a bit of a contradiction, Paul. I was going right. to say I don't have the greatest, the greatest attention span. Attention span. Yeah. However, I actually do on well, certain do. things that I yes, love. Yes, but that's that's the again that's the ADHD. That's hyper focus, right? So if you, if you like something and if you're obsessed with it, you're into it. You can fixate on it for years oh, and you'll never get bored. Right? Incredible. Yeah, Amazing. like it's like a laser beam. But if there's something you don't like, you literally cannot make a person with ADHD do it. You cannot do it. You can't. No. Um, they have to be. They have to be into it. Yeah, I kind of structured this book very deliberately around your cases and around your stories mm. in a way that would be appealing to and readable by people who don't typically read books. So I wanted to. The reason the chapters are comically short at times is because I want people to feel like, holy shit, I finished three chapters tonight. For a non-reader, that is a. That's. I think it's a really important feeling. You that's know, great. Yeah, it's important. And, and this chapter is the reason I bring this up, Dad, in a kind of circuitous way, is that this is like the shortest chapter in the book, but. It's also, and I don't know if I've ever told you this, this is the chapter that got me the book deal. Incredible. So I pitched the book at Penguin, and then they said, can you write a sample chapter? And I wrote this chapter based on a story you told me, I think, potentially shortly before the pitch. It was Mm. just something you kind of wheeled out. I think I said, do you have any interesting stories about the police? And you sort of just, I think you pulled this one out, and I was quite surprised by it. Mm. It was one of those stories that doesn't have that much kind of it's not a long story. It's extremely dense in that the things that happen in it are really contentious. And speaking of the... Um, it was interesting talking just now about the assassin because uh, this story does involve a firearm and uh, the unconventional use of a firearm. Hmm. I wanted to start the book with this story because I thought it was a cool cinematic way to kick things off. But chronologically, it was far more interesting to place it at the end of the book to mm. highlight how much you changed since the beginning when you were like a you know twenty one year old rookie mm. at the academy who didn't know you know anything about being a cop and arguably about being a man at that point. I mean, you were just a kid at this point. So um, it is chapter forty five. It's called Back at the Start. <sighs> I mean, where do we start here, Dad? Well, I, my my gut feeling, Paul, is that 
with what, in light of the way the world is now, before I explain the lead up to what I did that night, yeah. in light of what's been happening in the last, say, 12 months around mm-hmm. the world mm-hmm. with, with, with you know, police brutality and, I mean, there's been police brutality since there were police forces, yeah. but I actually don't know whether I'd actually want you to have this chapter in the book. Now, looking back on the entire experience, because I read it this morning and it kind of freaked me out a bit. Right. And I guess partly the reason I say that, dear Paul, is that, I mean, I've done some things over the last, you know, few years through my Instagram account, for example. I mean, let's take... People have opinions on, you know, how you should and shouldn't react. And I'm kind of expecting to get cop a bit of flack over this particular story. It's got a touch of Dirty Harry to it, Mm. basically. My alter ego, my hero. Oh, sure. It's got a touch of kind of... um, It's like we now, as listeners and readers, know what kind of a person you are. And we know what you are capable of and what your inclinations are. And I think we know where your moral compass lies, Mm. right? Mm. So we know that this is uh, all show, right? Yep. What you're about to tell us is all show. There's no, I mean, it's just, it's just cosmetic. It's you trying to look hard. It's just Mm. a kind of, and when it is weird because when I started writing the book, this was not as much of a problem, at least certainly not, in the public eye, right? Mm, it was just mm. a kind of cool, fun, wacky, edgy thing that I put in to really grab the attention of the publishers, and mm. God, it worked, right? Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, but you know, if if I if if I or if any police officer um, did what I did back then today, fired, I'm beyond fired. But but, but beyond that, um, it'd make at least. National news. Yeah, yeah. And it'd probably be... It'd have ramifications that would be far-reaching. Can you imagine if there was a body cam of what you did Mm. uh, in this chapter? I mean... Mm. But in fairness to me, mm. on that night, I was shit scared. That might not sound like much of a justification. But you've got to take... You've got to go back to the very early 1980s Mm -hmm. where Sydney was... It was just different. It was just completely and utterly different. Walk us through that night. Mm. Well, you know that I had that that the car, the, the infamous White Holden, with the fuzzy dice. Yes. And I had reported to work. Now, it must have been winter because I had a jumper on, but it was a police-issue jumper. Mm-hmm. It also had the New South Wales Police Force patches on either side up near the uh, your shoulders. So anyone kind of pulling up next to you, provided they were like paying attention, you know, would probably see the patches and go, mm, okay, well, no? No, because they were kind of concealed by the, the column be- between the, you know, the front seat and the back seats. There's a column where you've got the two doors. So that when you're sitting back... In the driver's seat, um, I, I, my gut, my strong gut feeling is that the insignia would definitely be obscured. 
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. But the thing is, I reported to work at North Sydney Police Station and for some wacky reason, and I just can't remember why, but it was quite unusual, but there must have been a police station somewhere in the inner city that required, um, for some reason or other, they they wanted some extra police to do the night shift. Mm-hmm. So I've rocked up to North Sydney, and I would have been... I was in my early 20s, um, just out of my probation. I'm driving this 1960s Holden that would have been a perfect car for undercover police work. And I was just told that I had to go to one of the stations in the city and all the stations in the CBD. So you had Central, you had Regent Street, Phillip Street, Darlinghurst. All the stations in the city were like... There was sort of the New South Wales police force. If you can imagine New South Wales being divided into sort of suburban police stations, country police stations, and then the inner city of Sydney. Mm-hmm. Now, these the stations in the inner city were notorious for all things bad. And we were strongly advised as young police officers never, ever, ever to get involved in anything in the city. Just don't go there. When it was basically, we were told in no uncertain terms that we were never, ever allowed to come back to North Sydney Police Station. If, even if we'd done a high-speed chase that ended up in, for example, Bondi, the eastern yeah. suburbs, yeah. We, there were strict instructions never, ever to go through King's Cross or Darlinghurst. Jesus. You were not allowed to do it. It was like 
because remember Roger Rogerson was basically and and the police of the late seventies early eighties they ran they ran basically the inner inner city and and yeah. a couple of outer outer areas um, like Flemington there were a couple of really really super dodgy you know police stations uh, that were notorious but you just weren't allowed and and I remember we drove through King's Cross one night and. By the time we got back to North Sydney Police Station, we were taken into the supervising sergeant's room and he ripped into us and said, what the fuck were you doing? Why? Because any police that worked at Darlinghurst or the inner city, if they saw a car that clearly had the markings of another division, because like North Sydney's cars, as the listeners more than likely will know, Mm -hmm. that was six division. So every single police car working out of North Sydney had a massive six on the bonnet and the roof. And, of course, the inner city guys, they'd, they'd see a car and they'd go... Because basically they just didn't want anyone to really get involved or see... Because if you're driving through the cross, for example, and you're from another area, but you see some heavy shit happen, you can't just pretend that you're not seeing it and drive past. You're you, a police officer. You have to engage. And, and you have well, to engage. But that yeah. means, ultimately, you'll end up back at, for example, Darlinghurst or Central Police Cells... And that's a whole nother world. Yeah. Okay. It's a. It's a. If you want to talk about dystopian, fucked up, frightening shit, the inner city stations. That's what was happening. And I was being sent to one of these stations. It was winter, obviously, because I had my jumper on. I'm driving a shitbox Holden. Mm-hmm. I'm by myself, and it was a Sunday night, and I'm driving through George Street, which was so quiet. And it was just, there was just no one. There's no one on the, there are no pedestrians. It's it's like a ghost town. That's how Sydney was back in the early 80s. And as I'm driving to this godforsaken sort of despotic police station, I am quite aware that there's a car because I'm in uniform. I'm kind of technically, I actually am working because... I'm in uniform, I'm heading to another station, but I'm, I'm already getting paid because I'm in police time. And I see this car and I don't take a lot of notice of it. But as the listeners hopefully will recount, the worst thing in the world, the most suspicious thing you can ever see, mm-hmm. day or night, in a car, is three blokes in a car. That is just... That's a given. That's but kept that's, cropping up in the uh, in yeah, the book, actually. Yeah, you know the the the, the triumvirate. Um, but in this particular case, I was aware that this particular car had three guys, but they were all in the front. So three guys, sort of sandwiched in the front. They would have had a bench seat, and they're following. And I'm thinking this is a bit weird, and I just felt a bit uneasy. And there were multiple sets of traffic lights. And every time I'd stop, this car would pull up alongside me and I just couldn't resist it. And my window, I wound the window down a little bit and I could hear these guys and they were, they were sort of, they were just itching for someone to, to kind of pick on to, to I, I didn't know, but I had nowhere to go. I had to get to work. I'm on, on George Street. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a major street. And 
it must have probably eight sets of lights and every single time I'd sort of take off then I'd slow down and the car would come up and I looked to my right and I could see these these guys and these guys were um, put it this way if you saw them today any person would go these are definitely worth while crossing to the other side of the street okay they were they were heavy um, and one of them had jail tattoos back in the 1980s listeners there were certain tattoos that prisoners would have done in jail um, they'd have a lot of tattoos on their uh, their fingers and they had various things tattooed but a classic classic tattoo back in the 80s yeah. that just said I am a gangster I am a criminal I have definitely done time at Long Bay Pentridge Grafton Boggo Road wherever is they'd have a swallow on their neck right it was like a sort of a it was like a Look, it was like a tattoo saying "criminal." That's a fashion thing now. That tattoo is a fashion. Isn't that thing weird? Now. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like a it's like a sailor's kind of swallow. Yeah, it's very it's very common now. It's just it's amazing when people used to come in. You know, one of the questions you had to ask people was, you know, did you have any tattoos? Do you have any tattoos, scars, sort of distinguishing marks? And people would show you, and you'd sort of log them all. I just can't imagine what it's like in the police force now when they bring someone in and go, have you got any? And I have seen people with tattoos today that, well, there, of course there are people with tattoos that cover their entire body. There are police with tattoos that cover their there entire are. body. And yeah. that's great. Like, that's no, fine. I, no, I don't have a problem with tattoos. I, yeah. you know, I think, you know, it's, it's fascinating and, and incredibly artistic and mm. for whatever reason. But these guys, these were, mate, they were fucking heavy guys. And I was sort of feeling a bit, and I had nowhere to go. I couldn't sort of... You know, I I couldn't sort of just exit stage left. Um, mm. And I'm sort of feeling a little bit a bit apprehensive. And they were really, they were they were really, um, they were sort of, I got the impression that they were actually going to maybe even get out of the car. And I, I don't know, it was just, it was terrible. Well, you're, you're quite a skinny guy. It's, you're in the middle of the city. It's extremely quiet. And the only other car around is a car of, what you would regard as clearly criminals of some sort. Yeah, the, right? the, these these three guys they were they were on the prowl. They could have been on the way to do a break and enter, or a, mm. or worse, um, like a you know a smash and grab. Mm. People that were in the city at that time of night, that's when all the smash and grabs happen. Yeah, and these these yeah. So what I did, I, for some reason or other, I just felt I felt um, safe that I. I actually was fully armed and I'm left-handed. Mm. So I unclipped my holster, weirdly, and then the lights changed. I went to the next set of lights and then they came up next to me. And then one of them, they were also drinking and one of them threw a can of beer and it went through my window and hit me in the side of the head. And I just thought, fuck, this is, this is fucked. And I'm right next to them. And they were sort of shouting and screaming and abusing me, and but they had no idea I was a police officer. I was only about... I'd actually manoeuvred my car because I was starting to think about what I could do in this particular situation if things got really bad. Mm-hmm. And I manoeuvred the car just slightly towards the right and knowing that when they were right next to me, I was fairly close to them. In other words, I could actually reach across 
and touch their car easily. Bearing in mind there are three guys in the front seat and that they weren't teenagers. They, these were guys in their 30s and I thought, fuck, this is heavy. And I thought, shit, improvise, what can I do? So the next set of lights that we pulled up, I'd already unclipped my holster being left-handed. I, It's funny, I'm sitting at the computer and I'm sort of physically doing what I would have done that night. So mm. I had my right hand on the wheel and I unclipped my 38 Smith & Wesson six-shot revolver, which doesn't have a safety. So cringe factor 10 there, listeners. And I, on my lap, which is completely concealed from... And this, this was a long phase on the lights, like at least a minute. They didn't have those things back in the day where you'd at night time you'd trip a little wire and it knows. Like if you come from a side street, you're not waiting for five minutes. Mm -hmm. But they didn't have that back then. It was just on long timers. So sitting at the lights, I've passed the revolver across my lap, which is kind of weird because I'm not right-handed. And if you've ever tried to write with your other hand, you know how sort of weird it is. And I held the revolver in in a very safe kind of you know, really good, strong grip. And they're kind of about, I'm just trying to figure out, they're about two feet away from me, which is nothing. And I've just slowly reached, I've sort of lifted the gun and taken it out and I've just held it um, at the temple of the passenger. Fuck. It took a little while for the other two to realise what was happening but my by me doing that i then exposed my new south wales police insignia it was on my right shoulder and i've just sort of held it didn't say anything and they've just stopped talking and they froze and then i very casually and deliberately and slowly and just kind of sort of reversed the motion, withdrew the gun, put it into my left hand, re-upholstered, lights turned green, I drove off. Now, George Street is a very, very long street. goes through Chinatown, goes all the way up to, to Broadway, to the GPO, to Central Station, but it's got a huge dip in it, massive dip. It's like a, it's like a huge U. So you start at the very top, you go all the way to the bottom, and then you go all the way up to the top. Yeah. And when I drove and kept driving and driving, I'm looking in my rearview mirror, and I can see this car behind me, but it just got smaller and smaller and smaller. And I watched the lights change and then change again, and the car never moved. They just sat there until I was completely out of sight. So, you know, that could have been a story that I took to the grave with me. Um, but listeners, that particular story is the story, as Paul said, that got him the gig. Now, if we want to, um, you know, forensically go through the pros and cons of what I did that night... You know, because I've put it out there, I'm happy to uh, to cop a little bit of flack. But 
it's something I did. Just just for you and the listeners, you know, these guys that had been clearly, you know, really sort of harassing yeah. me, imagine if I had been a lady, um, you know, by myself mm. heading home. from. Imagine if I had been a, a, like a nurse coming home from a night shift or heading you, to work. When you say harassing, what do you, what do you mean specifically? You know, calling out just sort of profanities and sort of, you know, mm. edging closer and swerving okay. behind me. And they really, I was, I was, mate, I was scared. Trust me. I mean, and you know, road rage is not a modern phenomenon. And but you weren't angry when you you weren't angry when you did it, were you? Oh fuck no, no. Okay, shit scared. But they were okay. So the streets are quiet. It's you and them, and they spot this car with this skinny bloke in a jumper, kind of looking exhausted and irritated, and they basically start following you up George Street, hounding Mm. you. Oh yeah. Yeah, and then when they finally pull up to you next to the, at the lights after kind of having you know edge closer and beeped and whatever, they then throw a beer can at your head. A full can. Oh shit! I didn't realize it was full. No, not an empty can. And cans in those days weren't aluminium either; they were steel. Right. So you know, I mean, these guys were—they wanted, they were itching, they—they they just needed a tiny, tiny, maybe not even an excuse. Okay. You know, the worst case scenario for me was, would I, would have been for me to have been dragged out of the car and then it would have been on for young and old because I, it, well, it would have been potentially terrible. But Paul, you know, I, a number of times when I was off duty, I was going to work at Manly Police Station one night, mm-hmm. coming into Manly and a carload of similar types of guys, really fucking scary they came up alongside me on double, overtook me on double yellow lines. It was really scary. I'm, I, I've got no idea. They just chose me, and I, again, I was in had a jumper on, and I was heading to work. I was only a few hundred meters away from Manly Police Station, and they came around this corner and they actually cut me off, and pulled in front and stopped, and I almost ran into the back of them, and these these psycho just crazy bullies, just bullies, that's being too kind. These guys, they start, they, they get out of the car and they start coming towards my car and I get out and I, in a, in a flash, pulled my jumper off to expose my entire full police uniform. Right. And okay. these, and these, so these things occasionally happen and, but they just saw the uniform and then sort of like in a movie, they just slowed down and sort of almost did a reversal and all got back in the car and pissed off. But, these things happen and can end terribly. The fact that that night I was in a uniform helped me. Mm. I didn't need to do anything. I just kind of thing, just just let them see that I was actually a police officer and they then began to shit themselves. But, you know, the, the, the story in George Street, um, you know, you get a sense of things and how bad they could possibly end up. And, you know, this was, these guys were, um, they were out for some, you know, and there were there were quite a few thrill killings back in the nineteen seventies and eighties, where people, uh, you know, criminals would just pick on totally one hundred percent innocent men and women, and they would they'd kill them for no reason. It was a random thing. They were called mm. thrill killings, and it was just so, you know, creepy. And I realised that night that I was, you know, by myself. And uh, but there will be people, listeners, that'll sort of sort of analyse and talk about the pros and cons. But, you know, I guess it's difficult looking back and saying, would you do it again? Because yeah. I've got 40 years of life experience now, so it's not really 
you can't really answer that question. No, context is everything. Mm. And also, I think, look, here's the thing. People have been listening to this show for years now. I mean, I think, you know, like four four years, mm. potentially. Um, and they've read the books and they've been to the live shows and they, I feel like they know you by now. Mm. I don't think, first of all, this series started off with the book. So if you've read the book already, you know this story happened. This should be this should not be a surprise to you. But what's interesting to me is kind of hearing it in context after having kind of gone through this enormous season of this show. Um, look, I'm really glad it got me the book. I'd never really sat down and kind of buried into, you know, the morality of it. But mm. given the context, given the era, it does seem, you know, and knowing your intentions, it does seem slightly different now. So I don't think I, I mean, I, I guess what I'm trying to say, Dad, is I'm not judging you too harshly here. Mm. Um, you know, no, yeah, no, that's cool. But, you know, I, I am quite aware of the gravitas of that particular story. Mm. And, um, and I'm more than aware of in this whole world we live in now, you know, where things have changed generally for the better. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, it's just, it's a funny world we live in. It's a, it's a, it's a funny, funny world. God, what a <laughs> what an episode. I did not expect to get here so soon. But, I mean, this chapter, weirdly, it's been going for a long time. But it feels, in, a, in another way, like it kind of flew by. So, But, look, I'm really glad we talked through these stories, Dad. And I'm really glad we talked through this one in particular. Mm. And I'm really curious to see what listeners think of this chapter in the book and what mm. they think of your insights. Mm. Um, and I do hope they won't judge you too harshly given the context i feel like if anything this this episode makes this chapter work better mm. you know um yeah. Yeah. i feel like it clarifies a lot of things so anyway that's all the time we have for this week's episode of loose units origins uh we'll see you at the end of the week for another episode of loose units loose ends have a great week everyone stay safe and we'll talk to you soon bye everyone bye bye Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.